0: So I have decided to do this two-part series on the election entitled Nation and Kingdom. And I made that decision some time ago in thinking about it, working on it. Have you ever bought something of, that cost a lot of money, you got it home and then you decided you didn't really like the fact that you bought that big thing? Buyer's remorse, you ever had that? I've been experiencing preacher's remorse this last week as i've labored through this this sermon series and so uh you know what are we supposed to do about this election season how do we handle this as christians there'll be people all over the the spectrum of what to do in a season like this there'll be some that say you know what i'm just going to not do anything because it doesn't matter what i do and literally Christians will just not do anything. There'll be some who say, you know what, I think it's important for what we do. I'm going to do the right thing. And they'll make decisions to actually engage in some arenas. There'll be some who will decide, um, I would rather just kind of hide from the world. I'm going to pretend that things aren't as bad as they are. I'm going to live in this little bubble and try to maintain my experience the best I can in the midst of this world. There are a lot of different options for what we might do. I want to give us some encouragement from God's word on how we should approach uh, this particular election season. And I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, before we dive into that area of scripture, I want to give you a couple things to consider that might help you in terms of perspective. Just keeping our perspective correct. So first of all, Let me tell you one thing that I think is important to remember. The the presidential election should not be a point of contention in the church that divides us. Like there ought to be room in here for each of us to exercise our conscience in this presidential election and still recognize that the most important thing that we do is we stay unified for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So no matter what we do, we got to stay together. Period. Period. All right, second thing that I hope will encourage you in keeping a proper perspective is the fact that uh, people in the Bible and then people in the first several centuries after Christ rose again from the dead, if if they heard some of us talking about what we think about the potential candidates who will lead our country, I think they might find it a little humorous that we are complaining. Pharaoh for example, took all of God's people's firstborn males and had them killed. Nero, you know what he did when he, he had his personal garden and he, he would go out in the evenings, wanted to see his garden area and enjoy that. And so he would take Christians, he would clothe them in wax clothing and then he would tie them to trees surrounding the garden and then set them on fire in order to light his garden to enjoy that, that's Nero. Diocletian, he, he took care of whole cities because of a too strong of a Christian presence in those cities, those that he did not wipe out completely. He thought it'd be a good idea if we just maim them so severely as followers of Christ that there's no way they could enjoy another day the rest of their lives. Now, what I recognize is that telling you things could get a lot worse is not a lot of comfort. So we still have to wrestle with what in the world are we supposed to do? So I want to look at Jeremiah 29 because the people of God in Jeremiah 29 found themselves living in another place that was completely foreign to where they had previously lived. They had been living in the land God had given them. They weren't doing so hot as God's people. So God in his discipline and his sovereignty sends them to another place, Babylon, which is one of the worst places in the scripture as far as godlessness and idolatry. I mean, their leader, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he set up this huge statue of himself and he made everybody bow down to that statue and worship it. If they didn't, he'd throw them into a furnace of fire and burn them alive. This is not an ideal leader here. This is a difficult place to live, very different than where they live when they are in their land. But here they are living in Babylon, one of the worst places they could ever live. And we find God's people there and they receive a message from Jeremiah. He wrote a letter to them. He was back in Jerusalem. He wrote a letter to all the exiles who were in Babylon. And he wanted them to be encouraged in regard to how they should live right where they were. And I feel like we will find great application into our own lives in this moment in which we live. So let's read this together. Jeremiah chapter 29 Starting in verse, let's start in verse 4. So verses 1 through 3 just set up the letter. Just things like Jeremiah's writing from Jerusalem. This is how he sent the letter. Here are the people involved. And so we get to verse 4, and this is what the letter says Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, if you note, God tells his people in verse four that he sent them into exile. They are where they are, When they are, because of God's plan and purpose. The New Testament talks about the church in terms of exile, being strangers. Being aliens placed where we live, when we live, according to his plan and purpose. It is throughout the scripture that we are called to live where we are, when we are, as exiles who know that their more significant citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Listen to Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that has, he has even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven and we are waiting for the return of our king. And we are living where we live, when we live, according to the plan and the purpose of God. God put us right here, right now in America because he wants us here. He wants us living at this moment, in this place, knowing full well our citizenship in the kingdom of God. God is in complete control of where we live. He's in control of when we live, and he's in complete control of the nation of our exile, the United States. He's in control of everyone who governs our nation. Listen to Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Whatever happens over the next couple months, even the years ahead, we never have to doubt that it is God's plan and purpose for you and I to live where we live when we live, and we never have to wonder for one moment whether or not God is in complete control of everything where we live. He's in control. Now notice in verse 7, verse 7, we find the key instruction of this passage that we are to seek the welfare of the city where God has placed us, of the nation where God has planted us. God had an expectation of the exiles in Babylon that by living there, and remember, this group that went to to Babylon was there because they weren't doing all that great as the people of God. But God, when he plants them in Babylon, he says to them, even though you weren't doing so great, and I sent you here because you weren't doing so great, I've sent you here to live in such a way that Babylon can actually be better. So seek the welfare of this city. Seek the welfare of the nation. His plan was for them to be there to make Babylon better. So no matter how bad America may be becoming, we are here as the church. That means that God wants America to experience the blessing of the presence of the church for America's welfare. I think that's really important to register in our hearts and minds. Now the first thing that we can do to seek the welfare of our nation in this passage is to be a faithful family. Notice verse 5 and 6 talks about being a family, living and working faithfully where you are, having the family that you have. I think it's important to think about what is your life supposed to look like where you live as citizens of this nation knowing you are exiles in the nation because you are citizens of the kingdom of God. And this first idea is you need to be functioning within that nation, within that city, You think about how you do your jobs each and every day of the week. The way you do your jobs is the way you seek the welfare of your city and your nation as citizens, not just of the nation, but citizens of the kingdom of God. So you don't work for an employer, you don't work for a company, you don't work for your own business. No, you as a Christian, you work for the Lord. You work for God's glory. And so that translates into how you live your life in the workplace as citizens in a nation, living for the welfare of the nation by being citizens of the kingdom. And so you engage in all you do with excellence. You should be the hardest working people in your entire workplace. You ought to have the most integrity, the most humility, the most concern. You ought to demonstrate a righteousness in the way you work because you work for the Lord. You know, your employer, your company, whatever, this is good for them. If you work for the Lord Jesus Christ and all you do, seeking the welfare of this city and this nation, that's better for your employer or your company. Trust me. It's better for you. It's better for the church. And it is far better for the kingdom of God. We have got to engage in our responsibilities where we live as people who are citizens of the nation, seeking the welfare of the nation because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, something else I think is really important here about family is you should have a bunch of kids. So... Thankful for, thankful for Tracy Day's, you know, <laughs> sharing with us today about the great deal on Wednesday night for your meal. Have a lot of kids. You eat cheaper at church, you know. Whatever it takes, we want to encourage you to have a bunch of kids. So notice here, the instruction to the, the exiles in Babylon is don't decrease while you're there. Increase. Don't just think it's, it's likely that somebody might have said, you know, while we're here, in this terrible place. I can't imagine bringing a child into this world. Let's wait until things improve. And then we'll talk about having a family. And God says, do not think about your circumstances in a way that clouds my mandate on your life as my people. You are to multiply. Don't decrease, increase. Have a bunch of kids. Think about foster care, adoption, having kids, and then raising your kids to follow the Lord. That is a great way to live as a citizen of the nation for the welfare of the nation. We need moms and dads and grandparents engaging in the lives of their children, helping them know how to follow Jesus Christ. We need families who do family well as exiles in the nation for the nation's welfare. Matthew, I mean, in May 25th, 1814, 1814, a man named Jesse Appleton was preaching an election sermon. If you look through history of preaching, years and years ago, election sermons were very much the normal procedure in church life where pastors stood before their people and said, this is how we are to engage in our city and our nation as the people of God around election season. He's giving this sermon and he's actually giving it at the annual election sermon time before the governor, the lieutenant governor, the council and legislature of Massachusetts. And this is what he said. He said, every family is a nation in embryo. Civil society originally consisted of families, and so it does still, by forming habits of obedience, respect, All those things that come through a family that's seeking to honor the Lord. He says, while under parental government, young persons become qualified to move in a more enlarged sphere to discharge duties of more extensive importance. When you do family well, When you do family with discipleship as your heartbeat, where your kids will follow Christ, guess what? God is is putting them in a position to be able to step into the city and the nation in which they live and engage for the welfare of the nation, to engage for the glory of Jesus Christ. We need families who take that identity and say, that's what we want to become. We're going to become a family whose kids know how to follow Jesus Christ so that we enter into whatever conditions they enter into, they are ready to stand for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to be, families who are engaging. And as our country seems to be eroding in any semblance of Christian values, we need godly families as much now as we ever have. You know, living and working and doing family in our nation for our nation's welfare implies that we fully engage in our citizenship here, exercising our rights as citizens. And one of the greatest rights as citizens of this nation is the right to be involved in leadership of our city and our nation, our state and our nation. See, we're governed by the people and we're governed for the people, So I would just encourage you to consider getting involved locally, to to engage in local opportunities to influence our city. Many times the things that happen locally have much more trickle-up power than we give them credit for. And we need to stop thinking of everything trickling down from the nation's capital and start realizing that the way our government is designed is for when people get engaged on a local level, it actually affects all the way up. And we need to be a people who are engaged. As important as the presidential election is for our country, if you've not been voting in things like local school board elections, then you are perhaps overlooking something that is far more important than the presidential election. We need to be engaged on a local level, using our rights as citizens to engage for the sake of the welfare of our nation. And your engagement as the people of God is absolutely critical. Do you know there are about 60 million or so voters who say they believe in the Bible? Some, somewhere in that neighborhood. And only about half of them are actually registered to vote. And only half of those who are registered actually vote. And that is one of our greatest privileges as citizens of this nation. And one of the easiest ways to act in reference to the welfare of our nation. So we've tried to make it easy on you today by providing voter registration for you at the exit. Somewhere out there they've got a table set up. You have no excuse. We love you, and so we set that up for you. So when it comes to exercising your right to vote, I think it's important you should know the issues as best as possible. I know that you can't become an expert on all the issues, but become aware of what's happening. Know a little bit about immigration, foreign affairs, health care, the executive branch powers. Y'all notice those things are getting a little bit different? Supreme Court's role somebody's missing something there. You should know about the Supreme Court judges. You should know about the issues surrounding marriage and family, sanctity of life, economics, refugees, national debt, SOGI laws. You know what SOGI is? Sexual orientation, gender identity laws. That's how it's talked about in the media, SOGI. If you don't know what SOGI means, you're not going to know what in the world they're talking about. Get informed on these issues, religious freedom issues. And Just whatever it is, know the issues as well as you can, and then evaluate the issues on the basis of God's Word, and then make decisions to stand in a loving way in the midst of the issues on the basis of the truth of God's Word. Let me tell you why that is important. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. We are the people of God who should understand more so than any other people on the face of the earth the righteousness of God. And we are to see the issues through the lens of God's word and make a stand in love in regard to righteousness because that is a great way to seek the welfare of our nation. Stand for righteousness. And please recognize that religious freedom is the most significant issue at stake right now in our city, our state, in our nation it's more significant because many other issues such as abortion and marriage and gender and the care for creation and whatever other issue is at hand finds their ultimate resolution and meaning in religious conviction when an individual's freedom to practice his or her faith is hindered by the government, then the ability of the church to influence the nation is threatened. The first words of the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights, our Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof before freedom of speech, Before freedom of the press, before the freedom and right to assemble, there is the freedom of religion. This is not just the freedom for us to gather in a building once a week. That's not what this is. It's the freedom to actually exercise what we believe about Jesus Christ each and every day in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our home, in our schools, and at the voting polls. And we've got to stand for religious freedom. Know the issues. Stand biblically in the midst of those issues. Not only should you know the issues, but you should also know, strive to know the candidates in any election. Proverbs 29 2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a wicked person rules, the people groan. We should know the candidates. We should evaluate the candidates. We should evaluate his or her stand on the issues but also evaluate character and for us who are Christians where a candidate stands on the issue of abortion is of paramount importance and is often a very accurate indicator of how likely he or she is to protect all our inalienable rights so if you if you like the rights such as protection of private property, the right to bear arms, the right for religious expression, the right to do your home the way you want to do your home, then consider a candidate's stand on issues and give weight, appropriate weight, to the more significant issues of righteousness, like the issue of life. John Quincy Adams, one of our nation's presidents, in 1831 said, The Declaration of Independence will tell you that its authors held for self-evident truth that the right to life is the first of the inalienable rights of man. And to secure and not to destroy that right, governments are instituted among men. If a leader refuses to recognize the role of God in the creation of life, and does not pledge himself or herself to protect that first of all inalienable rights, then all our other individual rights are in potential grave danger. All right, what about our presidential election? I'll talk about that next week. Okay, let me give you a couple of thoughts around our presidential election. Character matters in our candidates. But I want to remind you that our entire history as a nation, we've been electing presidents who are sinful people. So, so certainly, when we have a criteria of expecting character, but we cannot forget that we're always going to be electing impure, sinful people. So character matters. I am certainly encouraging us to consider character, but also consider that God will use flawed people. So, what happens when we really feel like Hypothetically speaking, we really feel like that we are not able to vote for someone who best represents our Christian values. I mean, when we can vote for somebody that we think does represent our Christian values enough that we can vote for them, then you got to vote for who represents your Christian values. But what about a situation where you feel like there is no one who represents my Christian values? What am I supposed to do? So I think you've got a couple of options. One, you can can still vote for one of two candidates. I'm going to give you a way to think through that. Or you can vote for a writing candidate. There will be one on the Texas presidential ballot. Or you can simply abstain from voting. Okay, so here's the key, though. Whatever you decide to do, if and when you vote, your vote or your action should reflect your conscience. You must vote in accord with your conscience as you understand your role as a citizen of this nation and particularly your citizenship of the kingdom of God. So let me give you some help. Your vote is not an affirmation of someone's sin. When you decide to vote for someone, you're not condoning everything that's wrong about them. Your vote is a hopeful exercise of your right as a citizen of this nation in order to put in office the best leader possible for our country. We're seeking the welfare of our nation. And so you have gotta evaluate the candidates, but remember we're ultimately after the welfare of our country. If you believe that voting for either candidate is against your conscience because you cannot condone such a leader, as a possible president of our nation, then, then your choice not to vote or to write in a vote is acting for the welfare of our nation because it's based on your conscience as you are before the Lord on the issues of being a citizen in this nation as a citizen of the kingdom of God. But if you can vote and you're going to vote for one of the two candidates, then you must decide which of the two is best for the welfare of our nation from your perspective as a citizen of the nation, even more importantly, from your perspective as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So when it comes to vote for president, we need to consider that our vote is also a vote for an administration and a party that we believe will give the greatest freedom to the church for displaying the gospel. The bottom line is God's people need to get involved. You need to decide you're gonna engage in your citizenship in this nation at an unprecedented level in your life. If your evaluation of the candidates for president leads you to a place where you cannot vote for either candidate with a clear conscience, then listen to this, a non-vote or a write-in vote should trigger a greater burden of responsibility to engage in the community, to engage in politics, and stand for the truth as a pattern of your life. A non-vote is not an opportunity for apathy among God's people. It should move us all to greater action. We can seek the welfare of our nation as citizens in the nation by engaging As citizens of the kingdom of God let me give you one other suggestion that I think will really benefit our nation like a specific way you can seek the welfare of our nation as you scrutinize and evaluate the candidates just apply the biblical principle of getting the log out of your own eye before you begin to get the speck out of somebody else's eye and just assume that the best way for you to seek the welfare of the nation as one who's criticizing the candidates, scrutinizing the candidates, is to place your own life before Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God and to say to God, please scrutinize me in regard to the standards of your righteousness and move me and lead me by your Spirit to the place of confessing my own sin, to the place of repenting of my own sin and to the place where I am living as an engaged Citizen of this nation, in reference to my citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, change my life. That's what we need to do if we're going to seek the welfare of our nation. Every time we criticize and scrutinize, which believe me, they deserve it, we should lay ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, You scrutinize me. Because unless I am changed by you, unless the church embraces righteousness what hope does our nation have are you with me the second thing in this passage that stands out to me is pray to the lord on the nation's behalf You need to pray and ask the Lord to work in this nation. Make it a regular part of your prayer time to pray for its leaders, to pray for the Supreme Court, to pray for all of these issues that are surrounding us. Our nation needs your prayer. Our nation still experiences poverty. We're the richest nation, one of the richest nations in the world. We still have poverty and hunger. We need to pray that God would use the church and bring about welfare in our nation for the church's sake displaying the gospel. We have things that stand against the gospel. We need to pray for this whole immigration thing that's affecting our state, particularly with the refugees. We need to be a people who are praying for our nation. We need to pray. If we believe that our prayers matter for our nation, then may it be reflected in our lives. We need to pray. And then in verses eight and nine, there's a challenge here. God says to his people, don't listen to false teaching and false prophets. I've not sent them. You listen to me. We need to be a people who are informed by the word of God. Yes, God's word needs to inform our evaluation of the candidates, evaluation of the issues, but, but that's not what this is getting at. This is getting at God's word informing our opinions about where we live and when we live. God was telling his people, listen, when they're saying one thing about where you live, when you live, don't listen to them. You listen to me because your hope and your purpose and your direction is to be informed by me. Because you cannot be my people living for the welfare of the place you live, which is for your welfare, unless you are listening to me. We need to be a people who are being informed as to the proper perspective on everything that's unfolding around us by the word of God. We ought not to be the people who think and believe that watching Fox News while we neglect God's word informs us properly of our day and time. How will we know the hope of God if we do not know the Word of God? I'm telling you, know the issues. But before you know the issues, know the Word of God. George Washington during the American Revolution was a beacon of hope for his men. He trusted in the Lord. He believed in a vision of a nation. He was seeking the welfare of a nation that was yet to be born, that existed in his heart and mind. He believed in it. The men that he led into battle, they couldn't see the vision as clearly as he could see it. The men that he led into battle, they wanted to make George Washington king over a new empire but George Washington had a vision of a better nation he wanted something better he wanted a nation where tyranny wasn't the normal course of action he wanted a nation with proper checks and balances he wanted a nation of freedom his men couldn't see it they couldn't see past their hunger they often went without food They couldn't see past their lack of pay. They didn't get paid for months and years on end. They couldn't see past the lack of supplies, the insurmountable odds, having not seen their families for months and months at a time whom they were protecting. They they had all kinds of problems and challenges they could not see past it. But this is what they could see. They could see George Washington. They could see him riding at the front of the charge. They could see him walking through camp, this beacon of hope. They could see George Washington. They could see a man whose hope was in the Lord, who believed in the welfare of a new nation. They could see him and one man's hope changed the welfare of an entire nation. One man's hope. We have the word of God. God has given us his promises. He has made us his people. He has placed us where we live, when we live, to be here as a beacon of hope. Could it be that if the church embraces the hope of Jesus Christ, that one church's hope could change the welfare of the nation? We have every reason to hope in this moment. This is not a moment to say what is happening in our country. I cannot believe how terrible it is. This is the moment to say this could be the opportunity where the hope of the church is the welfare of a nation. Don't lose hope. You know how I know there is hope for our nation right now? Even in the direction we've been heading, you know why I know there's hope for our nation? Because God has chosen to place his church in this nation. And as long as the church is present, the church is called to seek the welfare of the nation. And if we are called to seek the welfare of the nation, God cares about our country and there is hope. But listen, if you and I are not the people of hope, then what will our nation look to? We are the hope of this nation. This country is worth it. The people of this nation are worth our very lives? When will we be the people who lay down our lives for the people around us in whatever way we possibly can because we know Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us and we take up this banner of hope and say to the world, we have not lost our way. Jesus Christ is our king. We are citizens of this nation, but bear witness, we are citizens of the kingdom of God and there is hope in Jesus Christ. In 1984, the Supreme Court stated, Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly and so perfectly as from the New Testament? In 1811, the New York Supreme Court detailed, The morality of the country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity. We are people whose manners and whose morals have been elevated and inspired by means of the Christian religion. In 1941, 1941, the Florida Supreme Court held that the Christian concept of right and wrong, justice, motivates every rule of equity. It is the guide by which we dissolve domestic frictions and the rule by which all legal controversies are settled. We've drifted a long way. But we are not without hope. Not as long as we are here and we are seeing Jesus Christ and living as citizens of the kingdom of God in the nation, we call home, but for a short time, hope.